couple of announcements. For those of you who are doing PE skills this coming week, um, 21-23 will be open for practice over the weekend. Um, please do make sure you pick up after yourselves if you do happen to use 21-23. Writing a medical note study guide is on ICON. Um, Dr. Thomas had um, a couple of examples and then gives you uh, which one is the right one. So please check on ICON under course resource material. Also for those of you who are using electronic rather than paper, um, there's an additional handout for today. If you'd like to pull that up, that is also an icon under course resource material. Um, it says, it's called Dr. Lowry's handout. So that material is there as well. And the trivia for today. Ah. Wisconsin facts and trivia. Two Rivers, Wisconsin is the home of the ice cream sundae. <laughs> all right. All yours. Wow. Okay, I guess my question would be, what are the two rivers? Well, that's okay. I'm going to use it. Oh. You want to... So how do I get myself full screen? Just hit this. All right, and, and what do we want? We want this is two. This is two. Hope. All right. Good morning. Um, is that enough light? I mean, it's a little spotty. <laughs> a little spotty. Um, I'm Jordy Laurie. We've met before. I am glad to say we'll meet again. Um, and what I want to do today is take you through some material that, um, for, for me, when I was in med school, it was this kind of material that was the first time I realized I was headed to being a doctor <laughs> and not spending my time in class for the rest of my life. Um, so these are preparatory things. What we're going to be doing, <clears throat> your handouts will correlate completely with the slides. Um, they will be in the correct order. And these are general concepts we're going through. I also realize, and I want to say off the get-go, that um, as this course has evolved, the lecture you heard on Monday from Carl Thomas certainly has some elements in it that um, I will be stressing as well. My desire is that this will be complementary. These two talks will dovetail with each other, and there are going to be considerable material that I'm going to present that Carl didn't, and much that Carl did that I, that I won't. But I hope you'll find the two of them seamlessly integrate to each other. If you don't think they do, then speak up when it's time for the comments. Oh, I still have to figure out how this bloody thing... Okay, all right. <clears throat> so what we're going to do is we're going to go through the history, physical labs, problem list, assessment, and plan. And the point here is to, again, is to highlight the fact that without these essential skills, physicians can't be effective. These are the most important things related to being organized. All of you are bright. You already proved that. You've made the cut repeatedly academically. That's not the issue. The issue is, are you organized? And can you think in a way that will allow the brightness that you bring to medicine to actually come to bear on your patients? So the identifying chief complaint, this is incredibly important. It doesn't matter what level of trainee you are. When I enter the room with a fellow who's been doing this for years, occasionally they start with the HPI, and I have to stop them. And I say, where are we headed? Where are we headed? Because it changes entirely how I listen when I know where we're headed. And so the chief complaint is important background information to set the stage. Why is the patient here and where are we headed? You can combine this into a single thing I love to call the intro bullet. So this is a 36-year-old white female. Well, I staff in the room, so I don't need to be told this is a white female. I'm looking at her. So I, the, the trainee can say to me, 36-year-old woman with a 20-year history of insulin-dependent diabetes mellitus who presents with two days of persistent nausea and vomiting. Now that introduction requires some knowledge in order to construct it. So whoever gave me this piece of information had to realize that 20 years of insulin-dependent diabetes might be important to the chief complaint of nausea and vomiting. So this is anything other than the patient says, gee, I don't feel too good, doc. 
That is actually not terribly helpful information. There are times you're going to use quotes, and we'll talk about that, but that might not be one of them that tells us absolutely nothing about why the patient is there. And so there's a, you front load and let us know where we're headed. <clears throat> so the history of the present illness is basically the patient's story, frequently pieced together from a variety of sources. The patient is always the most important source of the story. Sometimes it's quite nice when there's another family member in the room because you can triangulate a little bit. For us guys, it happens to be our wives usually <laughs> sort of remember some of the details we just don't quite remember. And that can be very important to the story. And so you want to get the history from the patient whenever possible. And there are times when that's not going to be possible. Uh, if somebody's on a ventilator, for example. Um, so what you want to do is you want to develop your skills to function like an experienced sheepdog. How many of you saw the movie Babe? Okay, that was a sheep pig, okay? But you want to develop the same skills that Babe had. And that's what you'll do for the rest of your life. You will actually, if you actually saw actually the sheep dogs in the competition in the movie Babe, if you haven't rented it, it's a great, it's a great, it's mind candy. It's a fun movie. So rent it sometime and just enjoy the, an hour and a half. Um, but if you looked at those sheep dogs in that film, they're anything but random behaviors that they engage in. They know where they want to get the sheep. And they, <laughs> they know how to, they know how to do this and get them going, and you do the same thing as a physician. A good physician doesn't quite do that physically. That might actually scare the patient. But um, your desire is to get them to give you the story and to get the details that you need in order to proceed with their evaluation. And so it's anything but random. When did you first feel unwell? When did you first notice? Notice first. When did you first? When did you first notice your son wasn't feeding normally? When was the last time you felt like your old self? Well, about two months ago. Oh, okay, now, now we know. Now, now give me the action since two months ago. What's really happened? What was wrong when you started to feel poorly? I understand you had a cough two weeks ago. I understand. That statement comes from the fact that you have medical records in front of you from somebody else who says that you had a cough two weeks ago. And the patient goes, no, actually, I've been coughing for six months. Oh, change the story a little bit? Yeah, I think it does. So, and you saw Dr. Goober on the 3rd of April, and his notes state you were blah, blah, blah. Is that correct? Do you recall any other problems? So this is the sheepdog part of it. Now, as, as Carl told you, and I will tell you over and over, and everyone will tell you over and over, and I will still tell you this when you're in clinic with me as a third-year medical resident or as a, a fellow, the times when we get into trouble is when you don't give me the data in chronological order. When it's in chronological order, I can actually see a pattern that might be evolving that I will totally miss if it's not in the appropriate chronology. The chronology is a gift to you. Sometimes diagnoses just fall in your lap when you get it in the right order. And you have to help the patient. That's part of your sheepdog role is to help them get it in the right order. And they may not give it to you in the right order initially. I can assure you of that. But you have to then go back and piece it up. And, that's, and there's something we do after we take a history of the present illness. We go back and we sort of do a recap, as we've taught you. you. And you'll be doing this with your patients when you're on the wards this year. You do a recap. At the end of the HPI, let me just make sure I got this right. Three months ago, two months ago, two weeks ago, two days ago. And they go, yep, 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 yep. And then you know you got the story. So <clears throat> it's essential to assembling a cogent HPI. Ask appropriate review of systems-related questions at the end of your HPI. So we talked about our first patient with nausea and vomiting. You're going to do a GI review of systems. You may do a systemic review of systems. It reflects co-selection of potentially important associated findings. Positives and negatives enhance discrimination. You tell me that you have a cough and you've had it for a period of time and you have a fever of 103 degrees. That automatically is a co-selection that makes you think of infection. You have a cough, and you tell me you have no fever, and your ankles have been progressively swelling for the last three months, and you're a little short of breath. I'm not thinking about infection at the moment. I'm wondering whether you've got right heart failure going on. All related to the co-selection of positives and negatives over cough. It narrows your differential, and then you record it at the end of the HPI. So you have the chronology, and I'll show you that in a minute, and then you record it at the end of the HPI. This is one of my favorite Larson cartoons. Wait. Wait, cancel that. It says health. And doctors do this all the time. All the time. We just forget the fact that some of these, you know, the story may be just a little incomplete, but the whole context makes sense if we look at it. So my hope is that as an experienced sheepdog, 
you will not leave your patient on the island. Okay, here's an example. It's in your, in your handout. 42-year-old WM, white male, with a two-day history of fevers, chills, diffuse myalgia, right lower extremity, erythema, and swelling. That's a mouthful. That clearly tells you where we're headed. 1996, the patient developed superficial thrombophlebitis and right lower extremity cellulitis while traveling in Turkey. I can tell you, whoever wrote this HPI had to make a value judgment that the history in 1996 is important for you to know about right now. This is when the problem began just a mere 12 years ago. Is that right? No. Yeah? Oh, forget it. I, it's too early. It's too, it's too early, man. I, I can't do math. <laughs> okay. Got nine days of IV antibiotics, seven days of an anticoagulant, subsequently developed hyperpigmentation over the shin and ankle, progressive swelling of the right foot periods during hot weather and prolonged standing. Otherwise, he was feeling well and on no regular medications. So what we do is we take the whole thing. We have a seminal event. I tell you, forget it. After that, he was perfectly fine until... Until three days ago. I'm going to please circle this in your notes. It's in italics, not Tuesday. That makes wonderful sense to you when you're on the wards, and it's now Thursday, and you go, well, Tuesday, that's easy. It drives me wacko when last Tuesday is in the note, and I'm reading this six months later going, huh? Last Tuesday. Does anybody have the date of the original note until when I get a calendar, please? Because I have to back calculate to figure out what the heck was going on. Just tell me, three days ago, that lasts forever. I can read that two years from now. Three days ago, he used a weed whacker in the backyard to sustain superficial cuts. Two days ago, he developed a diffuse muscle aching all over, chills and mild nausea. Yesterday, not Thursday, not Wednesday, not Tuesday. He had a temperature of 103 today. Today's okay. We can get that one. Uh, <laughs> awoke to find right lower extremity red and swollen from the angle of mid-calf. Previously, hyperpigmented area was now purple and red, painful and warm. He had two streaks running up the inner, groin, inner thigh of the groin. What's he developing? What is that? Shout it up. What's... What's, what's the streaks? We call that louder. You, no, no penalty for any wrong answers here. Do you know what we call that? Oh, it's great. You're learning something new. Lymphangitis. So the lymphatics are actually carrying pus and bacteria and all these things right up there, and they're so superficial to the skin that you can actually see this freeway, this red freeway running up his thigh to the groin. And that's an incredibly important sign because when you see this, it's infection, infection, infection. Patient denies headaches, stiff neck, sore throat, cough, sputum production, hemoptysis, dysuria, or pyuria. What in the world is this list here at the end for? Why did I include that list? As a review of systems related to infection. And what else does he have that he had today or yesterday? 103 degree fever. I just want you to know I'm, I'm, I'm paying attention to the fact he's febrile, 103 degrees. So... Headache, stiff neck, meningitis, sore throat, pharyngitis, cough, phlegm, bronchitis, pneumonia, hemoptysis, same, same thing, dysuria, pyuria, urinary tract. We already told you about the skin. So this is a very pithy HPI. Now, this is frequently not how the patient gives it to you, okay? This is not what it looks like when you get it. And I like this little thing, and I, I include it each year in your notes. This is actually, I don't have the world's best handwriting, so I'm, I apologize for that. But... This is my notes on a patient, uh, and it, the university chart does not say order from chaos at the top. I added that. Um, this, is, this is the patient's note here. This is from April 30th, whatever. And this is a patient who ended up by having a fairly complicated story. And so I had a little space here for the history of the present illness, and I had some other things here. Clearly, I didn't have enough space, and I started dribbling all over the place, and I'll talk more about using paper. But what actually happened is I want to show you the order. This was presented to me by a resident, good resident. Uh, hard problem. And here's sort of what I started. There's K, there's E, there's M, there's N, there's A. That's actually when I got this, B. And so when I went back and reconstructed this, I like to do this, and I can suggest this to you. Circle whatever you want and just letter them. A, B, C, D, E, and you get, as you look at your notes, you can begin to reconstruct this puppy. And it turns out, after I've done this, when I sit down with a dictaphone, I got a beautiful, chronological, makes sense HPI. This is the order in which you got it from the patient. Chaos. And the patient had no idea why she felt so horrible, but that's our job to help figure it out. And you can see we have a little PMH here, family history, social history. The meds are already listed in another spot. A little review of systems, negative and additional detail, meaning we got it all here because this was so freaking complicated. Okay. Now, paper is cheap. We can recycle it. Trees can regrow. And the most important thing... Patients are paying for your services. 
So there you are with a sticky note doing this little thing, and they're paying $360 for that hour, okay? Use a couple of sheets of paper, okay? And, so, and do this when you're on the wards. Don't take a file card like this and approach a patient who's been hospitalized for eight days. I guarantee you're going to have problems. Use some paper. Perfectly okay. All right, so give yourself adequate space. Paper's cheap. Expect to get the story out of order. Develop a scheme to assemble your notes. Organize your HPI in a tight chronology and construct a problem list. Carl mentioned that to you before. I'm going to mention it again. Every time you work with me, I'm going to mention it. I'm going to ask you when you come out of the room, do you have a problem list? We can't begin talking until you have a problem list because we won't have organized any of the data until you have a problem list. Okay. Now, hopeless historians. I give you a brief footnote on this. This happens occasionally. It will dismay you totally. Uh, but you, there are people who actually know almost nothing about their bodies. They've been living in them for 65 years, but when you want to ask them a little bit about it, it's like, uh, who, me? And so the patient can be a very poor historian, hopeless on chronology and details. Then you have to resort to closed-end questioning. Have you had any fevers recently? And the answer I'm looking for is a yes or a no. Yes or no. Any skin rashes? Any throwing up? And because some of the patients will be, they want to please you and they want to give you an answer and they kind of go, well, you know, I, I, went, I, went, I went to the doctor's office first about four weeks ago and I said to Susie, hi Susie, I haven't seen you in a long time and she and I hadn't seen each other for months. We've been really good friends for a long time and our friendship goes way back and our families both know each other. At this point, you are already going, oh, we're going to be here for three hours. So now you, you develop the sheepdog skills and you actually say, ah, we've got to get organized here. So thank you very much. In, in the last week, have you had any fevers, any chills? And so sometimes you have to do that. And you do it very politely, but you're very, and this, this begins to determine whether or not you have boundaries. That's a whole other topic, okay? Whether you personally have boundaries and can you set them lovingly. Okay, you'll be able to assemble an HPI from a combination of the chief complaint and positive responses to the review systems. This shouldn't happen very often, but once in a while it does. I'm just warning you when you're there and you think, holy moly, what's happening to me? You'll remember this lecture. Okay, next comes the past medical history. What I find is the easiest is give them the surgical history first. Ask them about surgeries because people remember that. They remember when they're cut on. And so you can sort of get a chance to sort of get some chronologies. And then you'll find out about the pulmonary embolus that they had post-operative. You'll find out about the pneumonia or whatever that developed or the fact that they developed diabetes during that hospitalization. And they'll remember other things, other major medical problems. And then, you know, childhood diseases and other things like that depend on whether it's appropriate to the patient you're seeing. Medications, name, dose, frequency, and route. I think uh, Carl may have touched on this. This is very important. We've got to know the name. So when somebody says, I'm on Advil, doctor, how many? How often? You know, we know what Advil is. It's 200 milligrams by law. It can't be any more than that. So... And then allergies, penicillin. Tell me what happened. They get hives and shortness of breath. Erythromycin, GI upset. Is this an allergy? No, it's a biologic effect of the drug. It actually is a promotility agent. That's why it makes you nauseated and you hate it when you're on erythromycin. But it's actually turning, turning your gut on. So it's, not, it's a side effect, but it's not an allergy. So they're listed the same way. So I know I can use erythromycin if I need to. You're just not going to enjoy the ride. Okay, then social and family history is, comes next. Now, the other thing I want to point out to you is when you construct a history and you present, so you've given me the, you've given me the bullet, you tell me where we're headed, you've given me the, the HPI, you've now given me the background music. This is the stuff that Carl was telling you about on Monday. This is the background music that tells me what's been going on in this body for the time prior to now. Then you give me the meds, and that's the order. The, the HPI the past medical history, and the meds. Because at the end of that, there should be no surprises for me or you. They're just drips and drabs, things that are important, what the social history is, family history, review systems, or you know, some other things. But I shouldn't, when I get to the medications, and I know that the patient's on Coumadin, and you've told me the family history, and then you tell me the meds, Coumadin, why is the patient on Coumadin? Oh, I'll get to that, doctor. You know, it's, it's yeah, a pulmonary embolus. Why don't you get to that first and unload the platter and let me know the diseases I'm dealing with in addition to the HPI and the meds the patient's on, and then there are no surprises for me. It's very, very important. And you may not get it in that order, but that's how you're going to present it. And we're going to talk about that next year again when I beat you up as you're about to actually go on the wards, and you'll be listening far more intently than you are this morning. <laughs> you will, your shorts will be slightly damp. Um, okay, review systems. Composed of organ system-related items grouped to permit insight into the problems within that system. 
When you get a significant positive, give me some detail. Patient had a previous ulcer. Please, tell me the year, tell me the treatment, tell me the complications Well, they bled out and they needed six units transfusion. That's pretty important. It wasn't just an ulcer. So you can use your review of systems as a blind dragnet, you know, and you can be brain dead, and what we call a scribe. So, and as an early trainee, we all did that. We had a scribe function. We were sort of a widget who took notes, you know, who was there. And then as we grew, we actually began to figure out co-selection of helpful discriminators, and we became a skillful sheepdog. And that's what we want you to do. All right, now, I included this in your handout, not so that you can memorize it, but actually, frankly, it's not a bad thing to memorize, quite honestly. You may do it later. But this is designed to show you that you can group these. We start with constitutional symptoms, skin, H, I, head, eyes, ears, nose, throat, pulmonary, cardiac, GI, GU, menstrual, endocrine, da, 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 da. Um, this is a pretty bodacious review of systems, and if you actually have the answers to these questions in somebody you're seeing for the first time who's hospitalized, you actually know a lot. You haven't missed a lot. And I do this, I'm a rheumatologist, so it turns out that I do this kind of thing all the time in anybody with a complex connective tissue disease. I have to know about what other organs are involved. And so I give it to you. It, it gives you, it's into groups. Um, you, as you look, what I often do is as I just look at the patient, as I look at Ben, I just sort of look at his head. I look at him and I get static. I, I look at his head and his eyes and his ears and his nose and throat and I realize there's a body there and I can just sort of use him anatomically to help me do my review of systems. It's really, it makes it much easier. Um, now, Ben, speaking of Ben, would you step over here please? So Ben's going to donate his body to your class for a minute. You can sit on here and I don't think it'll break. Okay, so when we're going to do the physical exam, in general, unless somebody's on a ventilator and they're and they're flat out and you can't do anything about it, you're going to, I'm going to start, I'm going to start, you can see, you can see Ben, there's nothing I'm really going to do to him. Um, so I'm going to start with a seated position. And what I will do if I'm doing a complete examination is, and I will kneel, I don't normally kneel during the exam, but I'll do it so you can see me. I might start with a screening musculoskeletal exam and I'm going to then, and he will have this off clearly, and he might have this on, but he have nothing else on. So I can do the screening musculoskeletal exam and a dermatologic exam as I go up his arms here. So hands, wrists, elbows, shoulders. Then Ben's head's waiting for me right here. I can do whatever I need to do with his scalp. I can check him for psoriasis or a rash. Then his eyes, I can start with fields. I can do in, depending upon how appropriate this is, I can take care of his eyes, his ears, his nose if appropriate, his mouth. I then can begin a lymph node exam while he's seated, neck, posterior, anterior, supraclavicular. And don't forget the axilla. I will check his axillary nodes. And then I'm back to the neck. I can check for jugular venous distension. I can actually check his thyroid at this particular time. And now I'm ready to check his chest. I will percuss. I will auscultate. I will auscultate. Now I'm ready to listen to his heart. And I'm right here. Now, Ben, lie down, please, with your head over here. So Ben lies down. This is a budget, a low-budget table. Um, <laughs> so Ben would normally fit on the table, we hope. And now I'm ready for his belly liver, spleen, etc. GU exam if I have to do that. And then here's his hips, knees, ankles, feet. And I've done the screening exam in the lower extremities. Go ahead and sit up again, please. So Ben sits back up. I realize I've already done most of his cranial nerves. I now can finish with reflexes, sensation, cerebellar testing, and I can have him walk. Very snappy, seated, lying, seated. Go for a walk if that's appropriate. Thank you very much. Let's have a small hand for Ben. Thank you, Ben. All right. That's a very small hand. Um, so that sort of shows you how you can put this together. So you, you have, as you see, the, the information for how you're going to do this. And this is now how you're going to write it down, not the same way we gathered it. So we're actually going to put the vital signs at the top, the general exam. Often this is included if it's unhelpful. This is a svelte, tan, charming, Iowa medical student. Uh, we probably don't need that, but if somebody looks sick, if they're diaphoretic, if they're, if they're looking, you know, if they're pale, if they're, if they're looking unwell, that's very important to put it in here. Skin, H-E-N-T, neck, nodes, breasts and females, chest, cardiac. Pulses are going to be determined from the extremities and you're going to add them back. Abdomen, rectum, maybe under the abdomen or pelvic exam, pulses, extremities, musculoskeletal, neurologic, etc. So you're going to combine data that you got in a different order in order to get it into this order. Laboratory studies, once you begin doing laboratory studies, it's important we have a, we have a way that we like to do this and a way we like to hear it. Not everybody's 
the same, but they need to be organized. In general, we like to know about the CBC, white count hemoglobin hematocrit platelets of their coags, electrolytes, BUN, creatinine. These often go together, sodium, potassium. There's an order in which we do this. Chemistries, calcium, liver function, urinalysis, chest x-ray, EKG, then special imaging, sinus x-rays, CT scan of the head, etc. And in a new patient, this is kind of the order in which you're going to do it because it's going to help you think about basic general things getting more and more specific and esoteric down here. So it helps, it helps group things. Okay, so now, now we're at problem lists. This is just incredibly important stuff um, because <coughs> problem lists, as I said to you, when you've defined a problem, it's half solved. And that sounds like a throwaway statement, but it's absolutely true. Clinically, I can tell you this in practicing medicine for as long as I have. But once I define a problem, I really, I'm halfway to solving it. Review your, so when you make the problem list, review your HPI, review your PM, there may be a couple of things going on in the HPI that are a little bit different, you know, maybe several. The PMH, the fact the patient's diabetic, oh yeah, I forgot that. The patient had a previous pulmonary embolus, oh, I forgot that. That may not be your first two problems, but they're going to be on that list. The social history and family history, the patient is, you know, husband is alcoholic and is non-functional most of the time. That's pretty important, and that's going to need to be in your problem list. Anything in the review of systems that's striking, physical exam, oh, you found lymphadenopathy that you do not have any explanation for, that's going to go on your problem list. And so you can see, again, another sheet of paper that's blank, you're going to start making a problem list, no order whatsoever. You don't care about the order, you'll reorder it later. And then you're going to have some lab work that you're going to try to, and you're going to generate a problem list. And what you're going to do is you're basically going at, at, at all levels of training, we do the same thing. There are going to be things that really get your attention and things that don't. So the temperature of 104 degrees is going to get your attention. You're going to put that fairly high up on your list. And the fact that the patient has, you know, some social difficulties may go further down. But you're going to then begin to prioritize it. And as you grow and learn, you'll realize that you're getting better and better at prioritizing these problems and knowing where to consolidate them and when not. Consider interrelationships and consolidate them where appropriate. Revise and reprioritize your problem list. When you have got that problem list, you are like ready to boogie. Now you can really begin to think about how these things interrelate. This is incredibly important stuff. Okay, here's an example. This is the problem list on the young lady whose A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H I gave you in your handout. This is the problem list on this young lady. And I've cared for her now for over a decade. Polyarthritis tenosynovitis. And so in here, in the problem list, I decided to sort of list the articular things that were wrong. I, I did that because I wanted to be able to refer to it later. Generalized lymphadenopathy, low-grade fever, fatigue, and occasional night sweats. Why did I group those three together? They're called what? constitutional symptoms. So I just put them together. I don't need to put them separately necessarily. Um, I've realized that the patient's unwell, so this is sort of fevers, chills, sweats, weight loss. Uh, recurrent cough and rhinitis, mild photophobia and headaches, mild anemia. Notice I've got, some, I've got a combination of, of history and physical here, and then I'm going into lab work. Anemia, hemoglobin 11, lymphopenia, low lymphocyte count at 600, an ANA of 1 to 1,280, nuclear pattern, and a set rate of 77. Probably the least important thing on this whole list. So what do you think this young lady might have? Lupus. She did. She had systemic lupus. And she had man-eating lupus. And, and, well, actually, she had pretty, we took care of her pretty well for a couple of years. And then this lupus really got out of control despite our management. Um, and she has had a renal transplant since this time, despite all our efforts. But that's the first encounter I had with her was I generated this problem list. Okay, so what I want you to do is I want you to have a look now in your handout for just a sec, and I want to, to, to show you, this is, an, this is an old letter, the first thing you have there is an older letter um, from one of my patients, a, ref, a referral, what did that do? Oh, you've got to hold on to this puppy, I forgot that, okay. So this is a referral that basically you can see. It's exactly what we've talked about, but it's in letter form. Dear doctor, and then you see a chief complaint. Four months of persistent left groin pain and long-standing hypertension. Then you see a new paragraph, HPI. Then you see, it turns out now the letters are actually, the letters are not letter form anymore in IPR. They're actually in this format. And there may be a cover letter. And then you can see a history of the present illness, 1999, March 2000, April, blah, blah, blah. Not, not Tuesday. Past medical history, notice past medical history, medications and allergies. This past medical history could be better. It could have a sort of a list, a linear list here that makes it easier to see. But it could be, you know, surgical, medical, childhood diseases, immunizations. Family history is at the bottom right there. Now, remember, when you do the family history, you can sort of say, 
tell me about your mother, tell me about your father, tell me about your siblings, tell me about your offspring. And then you can also say, anybody in your family have diabetes, heart problems, you know, etc. So you can do it by a big sweep or you can do it by individual family members. Social history, next page, tells you some of the key essentials, patients married, etc. Tobacco, alcohol, drugs, review of systems. Here you see I didn't list everything as you will early on in your training because you need to actually remember them and begin to list them, but you can see that there are selected things that I listed as positive. Then the physical exam, it's not written out linearly. This way it's continuous and we just use semicolons or periods. And you can see, though, it's exactly the order that I told you. The impression and plan, this is a blank-year-old white male with. And then you see four problems, one, two, three, four. Um, I actually don't do it this way anymore. This was earlier on in my training. I want to show you this because you'll see a variety of ways of doing the conclusion, which is the assessment and plan. I've given this up because I think there's a better way to do it, and I will show you. So what, wow, woo, really can't see that, can we? All right. Preset two. Preset two, here we come. All right. Oh, oh all right. It's in your handout. <laughs> so it's page 10 of your handout. Um, and <clears throat> what it is, these are, these are three samples that, um, these are three samples of ways to do this. And what I've listed on top is what I do now. And I actually encourage trainees to do this uh, because it allows you, when Carl Thomas talked to you on Monday about the fact that there are parts of the, the sort of traditional write-up that are suboptimal. Soap notes. I understand he got to soap notes and had to sort of quit with the soap. Didn't actually get to the bath. All right, so he stopped it. So that's subjective, objective assessment and plan. That's a very nice format. There are times when it's hard to sort of put in patient preferences and social things and where do you sort of add that to what's going on. I have an answer for that. And that is when you, when you do bald problem lists, like I did with that young lady who had lupus. There were 11 things there. It's pretty complicated. Then I can actually give you one or two paragraphs of discussion related to any of this, and I can synthesize it for you. And I can actually show you what I'm thinking. And I don't have to constantly say, problem six, anemia, related to problem two. Problem seven is also related to problems two, three, four, and eight. I mean, you can do that if you want, if you, you'd be spending hours and hours and you will not be seeing very many patients. But this way, you have a problem list, you have a synthesis, and now, so this is a you know, young black female who has, all the, has multiple signs and symptoms of you know, systemic lupus. In fact, she meets nine criteria for SLE, and I'm concerned that, but I'm, I'm pleased that she has no renal involvement, no CNS involvement, and may not require... Uh, at the present time has an indication for low-dose steroids rather than high-dose steroids. I want to add hydroxychloroquine, blah, blah, blah. Now, she is presently a student at the University of Iowa, or she's, she's finishing high school, and anticipates attending the University of Iowa is very concerned about this effect on her health and her ability to be a student. And her father is concerned that... Da, 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 da. I can take some of that stuff in the HPI. This is very important because this is actually going to affect the therapy and her compliance and her anxiety and what I can do to re reassure her. So I can actually put some social things in the second paragraph right here and let you know the full bore of what I'm thinking. Here's what's going on medically, and I'm concerned. There's some real implications for this young lady socially and developmentally, etc. And so I think it's very nice to do that. Then I can say, plan, CBC diff, check anti-double-stranded DNA level, duh, 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 and then follow up. And Carl had a very nice way of telling you in the plan section, here's, here's some of the testing that I want to do. So plan. Here are some of the tests that I need to do to confirm what's going on. Here's some of the treatment that I want to engage in. And here's the follow-up. It's so clear when you do it that way. And what you see here, an item number two is a problem, a problem and then a discussion. Two, a problem and discussion. Three, a problem and discussion, and then a plan. And then this one is what you saw in the first letter, which is a problem, discussion, and plan. Problem, discussion, and plan. Problem, discussion, and plan. Now, the only reason I, I don't do that anymore, as you can see, that it can be duplicating. I, I can just get lost in some of this, where I can tell you everything you need to know right here 
after a very good prioritized problem list. So I would encourage you to think about that. There's, no, there's more than one way to skin a cat, and I have absolutely no idea where that expression came from. Um, but it's, um, I think that's, it makes sense. Okay, turn to the next page. Uh, so there you see it. This is, a, this is a new patient. This should be, this says at the top, 39-year-old female with, white female with, right? Nine-year history of rheumatoid arthritis, increasing C-spine pain with symptoms suggesting instability. Now notice, if you know, as you begin to learn about rheumatoid arthritis, problem two is actually related to problem one. We believe she's getting C-spine, neck C1, C2 instability related to her long-standing RA. Why did I list it as problem two? because I want a separate problem for this. I want this to stand out. I want us not to forget this and get it lost in the weeds. So I'm going to make it a separate problem. Then she has trochanteric bursitis, difficulty sleeping, Sjogren's syndrome, temporal mandibular joint dysfunction, Raynaud's phenomenon, epigastric. This is a real patient, by the way. So this is, so here's what you're, with your sticky note, you're going to not do very well with her on your sticky note. So you need a real piece of paper to take her history. Then you can see she has rheumatoid arthritis. It's under good control, no synovitis. Present regimen of methotrexate, Embryo, and Naproxen appear to be effective, although non-steroidal may be contributing to her GI syndrome and possibly be discontinued. I'm telling you what I think. Wow. Findings related to the neck have no features of myelopathy. Oh, you know, you were reading this. You weren't even thinking of myelopathy yet. And I'm going, listen, that's the major catastrophic side effect of an unstable neck, is she could end up having trouble walking, have trouble with bowel and bladder function, hyperreflexia. And I'm already tying together what I didn't find in the physical exam, but what I looked for. Occasional fecal urgency may or may not be related. So I'm going, you know what? I'm kind of worried. Maybe she does have some neurologic problems. Sleep disturbance and fatigue require attention. Boom. Check sed rate CRP to make sure it's consistent with the exam. Check the C-spine flexion, extension, lateral, may have an MRI. Obtain her last records. Discuss sleep hygiene. Put her on folic acid. Change the calcium, blah, blah, blah. And return visit in several weeks. Pretty clear? And I haven't had to repeat myself, and I, I can just go, I can, I can do it that way. So this is just, this is... Uh, this is how, what I hope you will consider. And the most important thing is that we're organized. It's organization, really, and we've got to communicate with one another. Okay, so the quality of your problem list will affect the quality of all your subsequent clinical thinking. That is absolutely a total slam dunk. It is going to affect everything. I guess I've made that point sufficiently. Um, all right, what I have here is... What do you do after you have the problem list? This was a real, this was a, just a total gift to me by a resident. I was at Hopkins and I was at the, wherever it was, the Good, the Good Samaritan Hospital. And I had a medical resident, it was just a dude, and he understood how much I was struggling. It's like, this is, this is hard, <laughs> this medicine thing. And um, <laughs> like, uh, my differential diagnosis is usually two things. <laughs> God, that's a long list. And he goes, well, I needed help. He said, I needed help in sort of generating a differential diagnosis, and I needed to somehow organize my thinking. So he told me about D-victim. There weren't, there weren't two ends on it. I sort of added that creatively. He told me about D-victim, and it changed my life. It was like, oh, some way to organize this. So D-victim, the patient is D-victim. He's D-victim of, or she is D-victim of the disease, and they're also D-victim of your care if it ain't very good. So, D-victim, I love D-victim because it starts with drugs. Could this patient's problem be due to a drug, either one we've prescribed or over-the-counter? I love this because you will not believe in medicine when you're at a tertiary care center how frequently drugs that we prescribe for something else are the cause of what's going on. Endocrine, could this be due to something in the, and all I do is, again, I look at Ben's body and I look at his head and I go, he's got a pituitary in there, he's got a thyroid there, he's got parathyroids there, He's got adrenals, getting a little more personal, he has gonads. So you, you, have to, you, have to, you have to think about all these things. Could it be due to... You go, ooh, maybe this is hypogonadism. Maybe this is, you know, pituitary adenoma. <laughs> Whatever, I, I, that's generic. I was a generic statement. So like, oh, sorry, oh, Ben, oh. Okay, so I know one of your class who's not speaking to me again. Okay, ooh. Okay, uh, vascular, and that's really simple. I won't look at Ben again for this one, or it's pretty simple. You start at the feet, you've got veins. You've got veins, you've got, lim you got lymphatics, just for the heck of it, because you'll forget those. You've got lymphatics, you've got veins. Veins carry the veins up into the vena cava, inferior, superior vena cava, right atrium, across a valve, right ventricle, across a valve, pulmonary circulation, periphery, into an atrium, cross a valve, into a ventricle, cross a valve, 
into the aorta, peripheral circulation. I can tell you there are a lot of things that you can think about during that venous clotting in the leg, pulmonary embolus, endocarditis, you know, pulmonary hypertension, a lot of things. You go, why is this patient short of breath? And you go, wow, I can finally come up with a list of why they might be short of breath. Infectious, same thing, bacteria, fungi, TB, etc. Uh, viruses, connective tissue diseases, it's sort of any, you know, what I do. Rheumatoid arthritis, lupus, dermatomyositis, trauma and surgical. So trauma is injury, surgical is intentional injury to repair. So I sort of listen together. I is inborn instead of congenital because otherwise I can't get that. And then M is metabolic. And by metabolic, means sodium, potassium, chloride, CO2, BUN, creatinine, calcium, phosphorus, magnesium, porcelain. Okay. So D victim. And then I add two things here, two ends, because I, I needed to have this. Neoplastic, so could it be cancer? And could it be neuropsychiatric? Could this be a primary neurologic problem? Could it be multiple sclerosis? Could it be a psychiatric problem? Is this actually a depression? Is this a mass depression presenting blah, blah, blah? Okay. Here, Minerva is another one, a little simpler. Metabolic, infectious, neoplastic, endocrine, RX, meaning drugs, vascular, allergic, and immunologic. So whoever did this one said allergy sort of combines with what Jordi Laurie does in rheumatology, sort of immunology, so we put that together. And then vindicate, vascular infection, neoplastic, drugs, idiopathic. I love idiopathic. That's really important on your list because it means you don't know. It's like, oh, okay, I like that one. Um, congenital, allergy, immunology, trauma, endocrine. So I don't know. I encourage you to just pick one of these and start working with it when you start doing clinical problems, and you'll be amazed. I'm always able, in a tough case, I'm always able to come up with two or three things I did not think of. I routinely forget hypothyroidism. I routinely forget metabolic bone disease and various other things. There are things that I just forget, and I go, oh, wow, you know, or sleep disorders, and I'm, uh, and I'm thinking, and this helps me. So when the going gets rough, I don't do this all the time now. I did it a lot in the beginning. And once the resident showed it to me, I just I wanted to kiss his shoes because it helped me so much, and, um, and it may help you in the same way. So let's do this. Let me just... So let's... All right. So this is the mnemonic, is the differential diagnosis of anything. What did I do with that thingy? Oh, okay. So let's just do, let's just do de-victim just for the heck of it. Let's take one thing. And let's take weight loss. 35-pound weight loss. Okay. So we have a blank-year-old male or female with a 35-pound weight loss. Any drugs you can think of that might cause weight loss? Anybody? Just shout it out. Which? Meth. Okay, so you're talking about you're talking about illicit drugs, so IV drugs. Good. And that's and that's exactly right because I could be sitting here like a boob going, well, patients of course are only taking prescription medications. <laughs> so I'm I'm hit, I'm sitting here stuck on this, and you guys are going meth, man. The guy could be on meth. And so. Now you see how this works for you because you come to me and, that's, and you say meth and I'm going, oh, I didn't even think of meth. So drugs can be dr good drugs and not so good drugs, okay? So IV meth, any prescription drugs you can think of, a category that can do this? Synthroid. So maybe the patient's actually on, on, a, on Synthroid and shouldn't be. One thing I put down here is SSRIs. Have you, you talked about those in pharmacology yet? Serotonin reuptake inhibitors are the new generation of antidepressants. You'll see these on the TV all the time. You know, have a better life beyond Celexa. These can actually cause substantial weight gain. So patients can get better, and then you begin to see them in follow-up, and you go, wow, you've lost 20 pounds in the last four months. They go, well, you know, I feel pretty good. And it's actually this SSRI that's, that's actually causing tremendous weight loss. Endocrine problems that can cause weight loss? Yeah, hyperthyroidism. So, you know, yeah, you can be hyperthyroid and have weight loss. Vascular problems that cause weight loss? You know, yeah, I, I sort of feel like you do. Kind of, yeah. So, I mean, meso so this is how, so you say, okay, mesenteric insufficiency. And when one of your classmates says this, you look at him and go, you gunner. Oh. Um, <laughs> so, Mesenteric insufficiency might actually present actually with abdominal pain, postprandial pain. It might not really be weight loss. But you think, you think, you know what? I've heard about this in some talk somewhere, and I don't really remember a lot about it. 
Write it down. That's how this works. And then you find out it's really pain more than weight loss, but there's a proportion of people who just lose weight with mesenteric ischemia and they don't have pain. And you go, ah, maybe that's it. I would have never thought of it. Okay. Infection. Can we lose weight with infection? What kind? Tapeworm. Okay. Great. So we have a traveler in the room who goes, tapeworm. So parasites. And I wasn't even thinking about that. And then that, because you suggested it, whoever you are, led us back to the social history and said, have you done any travel lately? Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. What else other than parasites? HIV. HIV. I might never thought about HIV until I got here and went, oh, wow. Uh, you know, Hep C, maybe. Not as much as HIV, but yeah, so there are a lot of things. Connective tissue disease just causes weight loss. If this is the primary thing, I'm asking where is the connective tissue disease? By the time we lose 35 pounds, we should see this. So I, I kind of go, eh, I don't, I, and I think, you know, is there anything that sounds like that from the history? Not really. Okay. Trauma caused weight loss? Well, not unless you cut it off, I guess. <laughs> so if you cut off 35 pounds, then you could do that. Okay. Inborn? You know, were you born... 35 pounds down, I doubt it, so that's probably not it. Although maybe the inborn thing, the congenital thing, could make you think of some other sort of absorptive problem, whatever. I don't know, you're a lot smarter than I am. So metabolic causes that could cause weight loss? Diabetes. Diabetes can cause, okay, ah, what, you said Crohn's? Somebody said Crohn's? Somebody said it. Okay, good, all right. This is a magic voice appeared out of nowhere. Okay, so... Crohn's, this is interesting, I would never have put Crohn's under a metabolic disorder, but that's pretty cool, and this is exactly how this thing works for you, is there are times you're going to go, oh, that's the wrong category, um, maybe that's an inflammatory disease, and you're going, well, now, where, where did that go? So I'll get back to that in just a minute, because now I realize that Nick said that, so I will, we'll, we'll get back to where you've said that, Nick. Okay, so diabetes, can you have weight loss with diabetes? Absolutely. 35-pound weight loss? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It should have some history of polyuria and polydipsia, that's absolutely correct. And we, we didn't end up, where was, we didn't end up by talking about diabetes under endocrine, did we? Ah, it came up under metabolic because somebody went sodium, potassium, chloride, CO2, BUN, creatinine, glucose, 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 forgot it up here. Perfect, that's how this works. Neoplastic, could it be cancer? Can you lose weight with cancer? Uh, that's a slam dunk. Okay, so we've got to make sure they don't have cancer. Neuropsychiatric, can you lose weight with depression? Now, I would say to you that you have now come up with a fairly bodacious list of a differential. Now, here to get back to Nick's point about Crohn's is what I also do is I will also say, okay, if this isn't enough, could the weight loss be due to something in, and I'm back to Ben, head, eyes, ears, nose, throat, teeth, gums, tongue, chest, heart, GI, ah, oh, GI, GI, Crohn's, GI. Okay? Inflammatory bowel disease. I'll sort of put it down here. And now I'm thinking, whoa, maybe that bloody stool was not just hemorrhoids. Maybe there's something else going on here. GIGU neurologic. And at the end of that, I may have a pretty neat list. And this will actually, I think, help you command a lot of the knowledge that you're actually developing. You know more than you think you do. You just don't have it organized. So as you begin to organize this, you can see how this works. And if you like Minerva and you like Vindicate, why go Vindicate, go Minerva, do whatever you want. And, um, but just try something, and I think you'll find that you'll be very glad you did. Now we're back to intimate lighting. Okay, so there's an example. Assessment and plan. Consider the differential diagnosis and compose your assessment and impression. Final one, two paragraphs of your workup is where you put it together. I don't think you're all old enough to remember. Maybe you are. It was wonderful. It was, remember the little old lady on TV? What'd she say? Where's the beef? That, I don't know. She became famous. I don't know how that was lady was like in her 80s, whatever, totally crusty. Nobody, I never saw her before or since, but she made a bundle of money on that one. And, and that's exactly what happens at the end of your write-up. You get there, and I, where's the beef? You've gone on for five pages, and you hope that's going to impress me. And then there's no beef. So... It's a problem list, and now you tell me what is going on. How do you put it together? So your problem list and your assessment lead directly into your plan. I can actually go, I can go down and look at, um, it's just like Carl said to you on Monday with a chief complaint. When you do a good chief complaint and somebody read this chief complaint just out of your write-up, would they all say, I know where he's headed. I know where she's headed. I know where she's taking me. 
Same thing's true here. You get a problem list, you tell me what you're thinking, and I look at your plan and I go, mm-hmm, 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 mm-hmm. Perfect. Understand entirely why you're doing what you're doing. Makes total sense. Or, huh? In which case, you may, you know, say, oh, you thought of those parasites, and I didn't, ova and parasites, I didn't even, I wasn't going to do that, because I didn't think of it. So this is how you put that together. Problem lists. Did I mention problem lists this morning? Okay. Uh, am I sufficiently clear? Assessment and plan, clear reflection of problems, present, get a problem list, effective thinking is organizing your thinking, generating problem lists, et cetera, et cetera. I can't tell you that enough. Okay, take home points. Be engaged. Commit yourself. Use every patient for learning. Enjoy the process of learning. Enjoy growing in your knowledge and skills. And the reason I put this up here, I remember... Um, when we had gross anatomy together, um, I, I loved Hopkins, and it was a great place to train. But it's true in all medical schools across the United States. We put together a whole group of overachievers. We pushed them, pushed them in the same room. We grade them on the curve. <sighs> Not a pretty sight. And so we had actually some lab mates in gross anatomy who one day decided they would just intimidate the stink out of my roommate and me, which they did very nicely. They memorized some stuff, and then they quizzed each other on it in front of the cadaver before Eric and me. And I'll tell you, it was like somebody flushing the toilet on both of us. It was like... And it was, it was all pre-planned. It was pre-planned by two insecure guys who just wanted to vent their insecurity on Eric and me. And it worked. I mean, I... And I don't... I remember it to this day, okay? That's not why you're here. We're here to do this together. We're here to grow together. We're here to develop skills together. You're here to realize that every single one of you in this class does not have the same set of gifts. You do not. You're all bright. We know that. But you don't have the same set of gifts. Some of you are going to excel at something a little different. Than some of you can, anatomy is just going to turn your crank. And somebody else is biochemistry or whatever. So we got remember that we don't have the same gifts. And we, we need to, and I encourage you to actually welcome each other's knowledge and also be prepared to actually Develop the confidence to say, I don't know. That is a wonderful thing. That has nothing to do with medicine. It has to do with how you grow up and, how, and your own maturity. I don't know. I don't know does not mean I don't care. If it does, you have another problem. So if I don't know means, gosh, there's another thing for me to learn. So when I give a lecture in the morning at 7 o'clock and somebody comes there and I'm reviewing the anatomy of the rotator cuff and I said, let's talk about the rotator cuff. Who can name the muscles in the rotator cuff? There's total silence there. I go, this is great. Otherwise, I'm wasting your time. You don't know the muscles of the rotator cuff, so let's review them. So do that. Take responsibility to, ascend to, the, to, to attend to the deficits that you have. And also remember that although you feel like a widget some days, uh, you are in our profession. This is our profession, and we welcome you as colleagues, and we look forward to your growth. And with that, I can take any questions that you have. Oop, I think I'm one minute over. Thank you. Actually, one person asked me, how do you examine really, really, really obese patients? I got an email this morning about that, with difficulty. Uh, and I'm not being facetious. It's very hard sometimes to examine very, very obese patients. And we'll talk more about that later at a later point in your training. Thank you.